Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show. That's right. It's Barrett, not Chase this week. This is the Fizzle Show, and this is our chance to help freelancers, creatives, and independent entrepreneurs by sharing the nuts and bolts of building a small business that works based on everything we've learned along the way. This is where we offer actionable, occasionally articulate, and almost always entertaining conversations about running a business in the modern world. This is a podcast for online business builders who want to earn an independent living doing something they care about. So if that's you, then you're in the right place. On today's show, your hosts are Steph Crowder, who's the director of member success around here, Corbett Barr, our fearless leader and CEO, who's done everything from venture-backed startups to blogs and bootstrap businesses. And then there's me, Barrett Brooks. I'm the director of growth and marketing around here. Missing today, conspicuously, is Chase Reeves. He's the uh, heart and chutzpah, as he likes to say, of Fizzle. He's our creative director, and he's away on vacation with his wife this week, celebrating their 10-year anniversary. So be sure to give him some love on social media, tag him on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and everywhere else he hangs out online because he loves that kind of thing. We hope they're having a blast while they're out there, and that's why you get to hear me introduce the show this week. As a team, we run Fizzle.co, a website full of training courses to help you build a small business you can believe in, and more importantly, where you'll find the truly amazing community of entrepreneurs who won't let you quit. You can try your first five weeks, five weeks for free on us when you go to fizzle.co slash try five. That's T-R-Y five. On today's show, we're going to try something a little bit new, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute, but it'll be in a familiar format of questions from our customers, real entrepreneurs doing the thing out there in the world. And we're going to get into topics like the scarcity mindset, passion, developing interests, what it means to be an entrepreneur, and much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. You can follow uh, follow along at home at fizzleshow.co slash 131. That's fizzleshow.co slash 131. And I will be back right after this conversation to fill in any gaps, as they say. How are you feeling today, Barrett? I'm feeling great. My, you know, as we started recording, though, I was like, oh my God, who's going to do the intro? I don't know. I'm I guess you're going to have to do the intro. <laughs> How do you feel about that? I feel, uh, I feel great. I'm going to try and convince our listeners that uh, it was Chase. Oh okay. my God. I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. I don't think so either. I don't but think that's I can work try out. and it'll be entertaining for everyone involved and I'll get made fun of and there'll be forum threads about it and it'll be like I'm famous. Good. Yeah. Good. As famous as I'll You'll ever be get. Fizzle Show famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fizzle Show. You're going to be more Fizzle Show famous than you normally are. That's true. You'll get a, a, a more a, a bigger share of the show today. Yes. So for all of you people out there who occasionally send us an email and you're kind of like, "Hey Chase, let up for a little bit and let the others talk." This is your week because Chase is traveling Europe with his beautiful wife to celebrate their 10-year anniversary. That's right. Which means that we will record at least two episodes without him. It's pretty exciting. It yeah. is exciting. It's and also kind of, it's it's weird, right? Yeah, because you can always count on Chase for filler. That's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Steph, are you going to give us some filler today? Uh, I'm, I'm going to do my best. We're counting on you for it, so please do. All right. I like it. What are we going to do today? So today, we're going to try something different. Um, we recently, actually over the past six months, we've pretty much revamped everything inside of Fizzle. We've kind of redesigned the entire Fizzle experience. We yeah. launched the roadmap, which we've already talked a lot about, but we also completely, and by we, I mean Corbett, basically rebuilt the forums from the ground up. 
And uh, that means that we have this whole new forum structure and a whole new beautiful software. The design looks different, a bunch of functionality in there. But most importantly, we added a new forum that is a question and answer forum. And the way the software works is it's almost exactly like Quora, where people can upvote answers. And the asker of the question, as well as the admins in the forums, can select best answers. Yeah. So we've got this great source now of real entrepreneurial questions from people actually in the arena every day trying to figure out what comes next or first in their business. Yep. So today, we're going to try out a little format where these are not questions submitted specifically for the podcast, but they are questions real entrepreneurs have that they want answers to. And the Fizzlers have been discussing totally. actively. Some of these have like dozens of answers. They do. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what's great about the forums is that when something's hot, which I think is like something like five or 10 posts in the last day, uh, it kind of pops to the top of the forum so people can find them really easily. So we thought we would highlight some of these questions and uh, kind of use our team time together to answer some of them so that we give more thorough explanations of our answers than we might be able to to every forum thread that pops up. Yep. Uh, so we'll link to these within the forums, but of course we'll also answer them live. And uh, which episode is this? This is episode 131. So fizzleshow.co slash 131 is where you'll find uh, this recording on SoundCloud and then all of the show notes and of course, if you subscribe in iTunes, then you'll get this as normal there, or you already did if you're listening to this now. Speaking of iTunes, I have a little announcement. Oh yeah, to oh, make boy. yeah. What's that? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. This week, I uh, launched a new podcast. Oh man, yeah, that's awesome. We, can we get like some applause or something? As a drum roll. That was Thanks. a golf clap over here. <laughs> Thanks, Steph. Appreciate your golf clap. For all my hard work, Steph, all I get is a golf clap. That's all you I get give from you me. A courtesy snap. That's all I get. Yeah, snaps, snaps. So um, I think we've talked about this already. I have a new project, mm-hmm. a weekly email series yep. called Lifestyle Business Weekly. Yep. And along with that, we have a companion video that comes out once a week Indeed. where I'm talking about the um, the hottest items of the week. Uh, those are 10 to 15 minute long videos. And now. That series is also available on iTunes. Yep. The show is called Lifestyle Business Weekly. And um, we're trying a little something different here. We, we are, are uh, we're branching out, creating new content. So this is, I think the experiment is basically like, what would happen in a world where Fizzle produces more than one show? And you get to hear from us on different angles when it comes to business, yep. or maybe hear from some other co-hosts in the future. So this Lifestyle Business Weekly podcast is kind of our first chance to test out a new show concept. Yep. This one's Corbett going solo on it. It's more short form and quick hitting than the typical Fizzle show that you hear from us. And so you should go check it out, download it, uh, see if you like it. And uh, send us feedback if you'd like to hear more shows from us and you think that would be valuable to you. Yeah, if you have ideas for other shows, mm-hmm. things that you'd like to hear from us, uh, we are ruminating on all of that right now. We can't make any promises. And yes, things we won't, won't make happen. any promises. <laughs> things won't happen immediately. <laughs> but this is uh, our, our first dipping a toe in the water, as they say, Yes, uh, with producing more shows potentially. And um, this show in particular, you're going to get 10 to 15 minutes of new topics every week about things that matter in independent entrepreneurship and lifestyle business from my perspective. And um, I spent a lot of time talking not about big general concepts like we do on The Fizzle Show, but more about interesting things that are happening that week that you might want to know about. So check it out. If you guys like it, uh, I would really appreciate an iTunes review or even click the little subscribe button in iTunes because there's a couple of critical weeks where it uh, really matters if you get reviews 
and subscriptions uh, to help with exposure. So check it out and let us know what you think. Yep, definitely be sure to reach out to us. There'll be a link in the show notes and um, you can also go on iTunes. And if you search for Lifestyle Business Weekly, you may or may not find it based on (laughs) iTunes search algorithms, Um, but you can also search for fizzle.fm and that'll bring up uh, Lifestyle Business Weekly along with The Fizzle Show because we're trying to make sure that people can find all of our shows in one place. So for now, that's under fizzle.fm. Yep, totally. Um, so in today's show, to give you a little preview of some of the topics we're going to tackle in these questions, so that if you're not interested, you can go do something else with the next hour of your time. <laughs> and if you are interested, you can stick around, which I hope is all of you. Uh, we're going to talk about things like the scarcity mindset, that dreaded scarcity mindset that hits so many of us sometimes when we shrivel up and get scared of all of the things in front of us in our business. We're going to talk about where passion comes from, which we've hit on before, but it's always a good time to revisit this hot topic of passion because it comes up over and over for entrepreneurs. Passion comes from when you watch Showtime really late at night, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Sometimes Netflix. Um Uh, The kind of corollary, as Chase would say, is another question about not being able to find any lasting interests. So what do you do if you're an entrepreneur and you can't figure out something that you're interested in long enough to build a business around it? After that, we're going to talk about the biggest existential question of the day, which is what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? In today's episode of Psychology Weekly, what does it mean when you go in the inside the head of an entrepreneur? What are they thinking? It's what does ugly. it mean? Why do they? I don't start? wish that on anyone. No, I don't either. But we're gonna go there, uh, and then we might get to a few others as well. But I don't want to promise that because we might not get there depending on how the conversation goes. So you'll have to hang on for dear life if you we'll want see, the last. Or couple. maybe in five minutes we'll be there already. That's true, and then we'll have to figure something out. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of <laughs> wondering if we're gonna get a slap happy Barrett because he's been on a plane today. It could be the case because technically I got on a plane at 3.45. No, I got up at 3.45 Pacific time and was on a plane by like yeah. 6 o'clock Pacific time. But whatever. Here we go. Let's start from the top. <laughs> Josh Robbs asked a question in the forums and he said uh, the headline on it was, how do you shift your mindset away from the scarcity mindset? So- when you think of scarcity mindset, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Steph? I think of fearing that there's not enough to make progress or that there's not enough of a market for you to get involved or other just some broad way of, of feeling like whatever you're working on is not, there's not going to be enough demand for your idea. That's what I think of when I think of scarcity or just being afraid that no one's going to want what you're putting out there, at least in an entrepreneurial context. Yeah. Or I, I think of maybe more broadly, just that there's not enough to go around of something right. in general, like that, uh, there aren't going to be enough seats at the table or that, um, you know, the odds of getting accepted into a particular college are so low that, I couldn't possibly be one of those people. You know, just being afraid that there's not enough for you in anything in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think that, uh, you know, the context for this one from Josh was that he heard us talking about snow globes, custom snow globes on uh, one of the past episodes, the that recent was episode episodes. 129. Yeah, 129. And we were talking about uh, one of our Fizzle customers who makes custom snow globes and sells them for as much as $1,000 a pop. And Josh said he was riding his lawn tractor and almost crashed it as he heard that from us because he could not imagine a world where anyone would pay $1,000 for a snow globe. And so that kind of raised this question for me, or for him rather, which was how 
can I operate in a world where that happens? How can I believe that that can happen for my business or something similar to that happen in my business? Because totally. right now I have a mindset that says that's not even possible for me. So that's kind of his definition of scarcity, I think in this case, which is pretty close to what we all think about, I think. I almost wonder too, if he's talking about how difficult it is to get out of your own head. One of the things he says that's so interesting is, he, I'll quote him in just one sentence. He says, I never would have guessed that you could get more than $20 for a snow globe or that people were so busy that they'd pay someone to mail their kids. So he's referencing, we were also talking about a company called Hooray Mail, which we've mentioned a couple times, which is a service you can subscribe to that sends really cute and fun activity-based mail to your kids. So I think one of the things he's getting at here is it can be hard to realize that if you don't really share those interests, other people out there are willing to pay $1,000 for a snow globe. And just because you wouldn't pay for that doesn't mean that there's not a market out there somewhere. Well, it's... uh Especially when you're thinking about something like snow globes. Yes. Um, because who even thought that that was a thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know they exist, but I didn't figure anybody, right. any of them cost more than 20 or $30. But it's even weirder when the thing in question that you can't afford is the thing that you're selling yourself. Right. So um, my wife is an artist and we have photographers in Fizzle who charge so much for their work that they can't afford it themselves. Yeah. Right. So imagine like we would never buy, you know, a $5,000 painting or something. And yet you as the artist have to find clients who can't afford that. And it's really hard to get inside the mind of the kind of client who could afford a $10,000 wedding shoot or Mm -hmm. a $5,000 painting or whatever, because they live in a very different place, or maybe they come from a different upbringing and their calibration is just totally off. Yeah. They spend a lot more money on everything in their lives, um, or they care so much about this one corner of the universe, like photography or, or their wedding, that they're willing to spend that kind of money. So you have to like start getting inside the heads right. of your potential clients. And as you get to know more of those people, I think it's easy to take yourself out of that scarcity mindset. But if you're just sitting there, like, wondering like who the hell buys that sort of thing uh, and you don't know anyone, then it's pretty hard, I think, to make that mental shift. Absolutely. And uh, I just got back from a mastermind retreat and we had a similar kind of moment where uh, one of the guys is in men's fashion. Uh, fashion. He runs a site around men's fashion. And uh, he was thinking about how to increase his earnings. And we were talking about a lot of different ideas. And one of the guys on the retreat spends a lot of time in San Francisco and New York with uh well-known people, people who make a lot of money, who have a good sense of style and spend a lot of money on clothes and fashion and looking like the newest, hottest thing. And uh, he brought up an idea of having kind of this fashion concierge service for essentially famous people where you would style them on a quarterly basis and charge $25,000 a year or something like that. And from his perspective, he knows enough people where that would be a very sensible business move for our other friend who runs his fashion business. But for the guy running that fashion business, he was thinking about how do I make another ebook to teach people how to go buy uh fashionable things at the store or whatever. And our point to him was, what if you completely blew that whole idea up of what your business even is and got way outside the box? But to do that, you do have to have exposure to other types of people. You have to have 
heard the possibility coming out of someone's mouth that they might be willing to pay this kind of money. Yeah. So I don't know if that was the case with the snow globes, but you have to go talk to people who aren't like you if you're not able or willing to pay the kind of money that you're talking about in this kind of situation. Well, you know, one of my favorite examples of this is uh, if you, for listeners, if you want to go back and listen to uh, fizzleshow.co slash 113, we talked about uh, a fizzler named Mary who had a adult coloring book business. And it's funny because I, I look back on that conversation and I recall even the four of us, maybe least of all me, were sort of like, is there a market for this? Do people really want to spend money on coloring? And I was actually just in a bookstore this weekend. And when, right when I walked in the door, there was a huge display of so many different kinds of adult coloring books. And I know that this one particular little thing has just really taken off. So it just goes to show that getting outside your own perspective can be super interesting. Because even for us having that discuss discussion about adult coloring books, you know, we didn't really know just how much of a market was there. So I think that's really interesting. Interesting yeah. example too. And I, yeah. So I don't think that the like scarcity mindset only has to re relate to um, pricing and money and things like that. It's also just this idea that um, as an entrepreneur, you have to empathize with your customer. And it could be that your customer comes from a different place than you do. It could be that they have deeper pockets than you right. do. Or it could just be that they have different interests or something. Mm -hmm. Um of course, it helps if your interests align because you get to know right. them better. But a lot of times you don't have the choice. You know, you're maybe struggling to make ends meet and you're trying to dig yourself out of that hole and you're going to have to find clients that are more well-heeled than you are. Right. Because as you found, Barrett, when you graduated college and decided to start a business helping other college students, yep. you realize they don't spend money on certain things yep. and they're not the ideal target market. Big time. So sometimes you're forced with that. And um, I think that that skill of empathy is so important mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur. And we have um, courses inside Fizzle, not to plug Fizzle, but we have courses that help you define your audience. And a yep. big part of that isn't about demographics. It's about psychographics and getting to know mm -hmm. um, people. And one of the best ways you can do that is simply through interviews. Right. And, and interviews can lead to relationships that turn into business opportunities. But even if it's just for the information that you get out of them, they can be really invaluable. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a guy named Sean McCabe that runs a number of podcasts and he has a business somewhat similar to Fizzle. He runs an entrepreneurial community, but he has this concept he really promotes of value-based pricing. And uh, we've talked about that pricing model before on our pricing episode a couple of weeks ago, but we don't go as in-depth as, as Sean likes to take it. But his whole point around value-based pricing is that something is worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. Right. And so in the case of snow globes, if that snow globe is significant enough to a person, if it means enough to the person that you're making it for, then they'll pay whatever they feel like that sentiment is worth, not what the physical good of the you know snow globe with little flecks in it are right. worth. And so it's that feeling that it evokes for them that is the value in it. It's not the cost to assemble the thing or the time totally. you put into it. And so that's a big part of this too, is that you have to go into it understanding that no matter how much time or how much cost goes into your product or service, the people you sell that thing or that service to may value it far, far more than whatever went into it. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. That's perfectly okay because that means you can build a successful business on that. The the simplest example is probably fashion, right? Yeah. Because you you know, you can spend as much money as you want right. on handbags and shoes and things like that. And sure, there's a little bit better quality there. There are better materials that go into it, but a big portion as you move up the pricing scale is 
is just brand equity. Like yep. whatever you think Chanel is worth, um, because you get to wear it and tell your friends about it right. or whatever, or they see it on you. Um, that's a big part of what you're paying for. And totally. the same is true for a lot of the things that entrepreneurs sell. From the entrepreneur side though, so like if, if we were, if I was talking directly to Josh, the other side of that, even if your customer values the thing that you're making, so you have to choose the right customer to start with, right? It goes back to the audience idea that you have to choose the people that will value it enough to pay for it. But on your end, as far as moving away from the scarcity mindset, you also have to act as if it's valuable enough for people to pay for it and forget this whole idea that there's a cost plus type mindset of like, it cost me this much, therefore I should charge this much. Right. And so if you're not acting as if you are valuable to the kind of person that would pay you that kind of money, then they're not going to have confidence in you either. Sometimes the only difference between a $25,000 wedding photographer and a $5,000 wedding photographer is the price. There's no difference in quality. There's no difference in what they're going to do at the wedding. The difference is the way that they pitch themselves and the brand story that they're telling, and they're acting as if they're worth the $25,000 that they're going to get paid. Yeah. And it, um, it comes down to, in a lot of cases, self-confidence. Yep. Um, and this is another really important thing to entrepreneurs. And I don't know that um, there's a simple fix for it necessarily. You kind of get better as you go. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of the scarcity mindset comes from a lack of self-confidence to begin with. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And to move up that that pricing scale, you have to be sure about what you're doing. And you have to, and and you, you gain that as you tell your story over and over again. Yep. And you see how people react. Um, but you see this all the time where somebody new enters a space and they just have all the confidence in the world, not a whole lot of experience, and they're able to rise pretty quickly just yep. because people take them more seriously. Totally. Um, I think a good example of that lately has been a guy named Brian Harris. He was, uh, nobody really knew about him other than the few clients he was working with on email strategy not long ago. And uh, he's been kind of this up and coming name that's built a big email list lately and that has a good business going. And it's he's done it over 12 months or something like that. It's kind of like the Derek Halpern story when he got started with social triggers where he's just hustled and he had the skills. More importantly, he had the confidence to put his stuff out there, act as if that he would be able to teach people things they didn't already know. And people appreciate that. So there's plenty of examples of this working if you can take that kind of approach to the work. Yeah. It'd be great to have somebody on at some point who operates from the other side of the coin. Yeah. Uh, from introversion or right. from like not having a lot of self-confidence. I know. Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to have a ton of confidence, but you do have to at least be convincing about the thing that you're offering. Right. I agree. Right. You got anything else over there on this one, Steph? No, I think, you know, it does remind me of one other thing. The other important piece of scarcity, I think, is not, I think a lot of, and we see this as one of the most common things, I think, especially for businesses that are in that phase one is letting go of that feeling, the very, very natural feeling that you want your business or your ideas to appeal to as many people mm. as possible. Mm -hmm. um, we were, th this reminds me of a post in the forums and just, a, I think maybe even just today, there was someone, a fizzler who was looking for feedback on her idea for an ebook. And it was something like seven tips to have success as a coach, basically. And the feedback she was getting was like, okay, well, what kind of coach? There's health coaches, there's business coaches, there's career coaches, music coaches, you know, you name it, there's probably a coach for that. And her, again, very natural response was, well, you know, I really want to aim it at all coaches. I want all coaches to feel like they can get something from this. And I think that really does also stem from the scarcity mindset, which is the 
this belief that if it doesn't appeal to as many people as possible, then it's not going to do well. Yeah. Right. And I think in the example of something like just to go back to the snow globes, you know, the creator of that product didn't really care if it appealed to everybody and it doesn't appeal to everybody. But for the people that it does appeal to, it does great. So I think that's another way to look at scarcity too. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about from the client's perspective in that example of coaching, if I'm a health coach, then that product offering becomes much more valuable if it's aimed at health coaches because it's tailored for yep. me. Yep. And it also becomes much more easy for me to find it. So there's yep. all these things that happen when you narrow down and focus on just one specific group of people. Yeah, it becomes more valuable and oftentimes you can charge more for that. And then the effect for you, kind of the trickle down effect for you is that you have to you have to gain less clients when that happens. Right. When they're paying you more, you only need to make 10 sales instead of 100. Yep. And that's a beautiful thing when you're an entrepreneur, especially a solo entrepreneur who's trying to do everything for yourself. If you can sell 10 clients relatively early in the year and then perform the work, it's good for everyone, I think. Yep. Cool. Uh, I think we we kind of covered that one. Um, Josh, thanks for asking an open question on that one. Uh, I think it's important. And hopefully we didn't make you feel belittled at all in the way that we answered it. I think this is something that we've all dealt with, certainly totally. on this team. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And that almost every entrepreneur goes through at some point. We all so, undercharge for our work to yes. begin with. That's, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, if you, you think to yourself, oh, man, if I just made 40 bucks an hour, I'd be set, <laughs> right? And then right. you realize charging $40 an hour is nothing because you're spending three hours of marketing and, and yep. you know, back-end work for every hour that you're delivering. Mm-hmm. So it ends up bringing the cost way down. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think it's, it's important to point out, too, just while we're here that I think, you know, right before we started recording today, we chose these topics to, to talk about as a group. And I think the reason we chose them is because they do, I think that the, the, one of the common themes is that this is these are all things that all entrepreneurs or most entrepreneurs go through. So for those who are listening, if it's your thread, we chose it because it's a great question, but we also chose it because we feel that pretty much everybody listening can relate to it. So you're definitely not alone in your, in your feelings with the question. Yep. yep. Totally. All right, let's jump to the next one. This one's from uh, Lindsay Wilcox. And what Lindsay, nope, Lindsay's going to be next. Lindsay, there's a little preview. <laughs> Make for up your you mind, Barrett. Listening. Come I'm on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, so this one's from Steve Fossey. And he says, Where does passion come from? And why does it matter? This is a doozy. We're going to get into the whole passion conversation here, and we'll try not to take up the rest of the podcast with it, but I won't go first. Who wants to go first on this Steph one? Where, does. where does passion come from, Steph? You know, I, I, I think this is such an interesting one, and I think we could probably talk about it all day and have different perspectives. I think passion is a great thing. It's also very dangerous because passion can kind of be this grand sort of pie in the sky unicorn that you chase after and don't ever necessarily obtain. And for when I think of being passionate or finding your passion, like your one true passion in business, that's just a lot of pressure. And I think it also implies that you're going to care about every single customer you work with and you're going to you know, feel like you would throw yourself in front of a moving truck to save someone who's in your, you know, that you're working with in your business. And I just don't know that that's necessarily realistic. I think even if you're doing a business or serving people in a way that's really meaningful to you, it doesn't mean that every single day is going to be a cakewalk. There's going to be days where it's a Monday and there's going to be days when, you know, you're stressed out. And I think it's important to remember that even when it comes to passion. Um, But this particular conversation is really interesting because, you know, some of the things Steve says here is, 
what he, I really like the way he poses it to boil it down. He basically says, listen, at the end of the day, like, I just want to be able to spend time with my family and I want to do whatever's going to pay me the most and allow me to do the most of that. And I, I just personally don't really think there's anything wrong with that. And I think to me, the biggest thing about finding passion or being passionate about work is if you're not you know, obsessed with the customers you're helping and you're not doing it in a way that's like, I feel called to serve these people. I think that's okay as long as it's connected to something. So in Steve's case, maybe it's connected to, okay, this is the work that I need to do to spend the time with my family. To me, that's still passion. So I think the the key thing here is, for at least in my experience, whenever my work has become disconnected from what I care about in one way or another, if it feels like I'm working in a vacuum, that's when things start to get dangerous because that's when you wake up and just say to yourself, what's the point of all of this? So I guess what I'm getting at is there's different ways to have passion in your work. It might not be your life's work, but if you feel it's connected to your values and to your purpose in life, then that is when I think passion and work can kind of come together in one way or another. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. I don't think there's, you know, Steve kind of feels like, at the end of his question, he kind of says, am I way out in left field on this passion thing? Am right. I the only one that thinks, you know, it, passion is not the point of the work. Mm-hmm. That the point of the work is to be able to spend time with family, to accomplish my goals, to make money, to get better at the craft. You know, I love that. He said, I'm just good at it and determined to, to be always better. That to mm-hmm. me is passion. That is passion embodied. The fact that he wants to get better at the work, that he wants to serve his clients better, that he doesn't feel right if he's been paid for work that he doesn't feel like was of the highest quality, that's what passion means to me. Passion comes, you know, the question was, where does passion come from? For me, passion comes from effort. It comes from toiling away at things that nobody else is willing to do to create quality of work that nobody else is able to create. And what Steve sounds like he's saying here is that he creates very high quality work. He's very good at what he does. And because of that, he takes home a good, healthy paycheck from what he's done in the past to support his family. And I don't think that's any different from, maybe it's different from the way passion gets talked about on some sites or out there in publications or something like that. But I think we do make it this, this unrealistic pie in the sky thing, just like you said, Steph, that's not reality. It's not bound to reality when we talk about this theoretical passion all the time. I think that mm-hmm. I think there there are different kinds of passion is kind of what we're getting at here. There's the passion for the topic itself. So you, for example, could be really interested in fashion and fashion as a topic could really get you excited. Then there's the passion that you might have for the work. And those are two different things. You could have passion right. for building the business yep. and um, and you know having your fashion like out there in the world versus just caring about fashion in general. Right. And it really kind of depends on how you're motivated. Some people are really motivated by just building a business and earning enough income and freedom to be able to do the other things that they want. Other people in the moment, you know, hour to hour, day to day in their business have to really care about the craft of the thing that they're making. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of two different sorts of types of people and two different um, sides of the coin. When we talk about passion for the topic, I feel like that's where a lot of people are done a disservice because there are a lot of people out there who don't need that. And they go around scratching their head wondering if they're missing something because they don't right. feel that. They don't feel like that sailing or fashion or yep. horse racing or whatever is like the only thing that they're ever going to care about. Um, and those people maybe tend to be more of the jack of all trades type. I think I kind of fall into that where 
Uh, there are a lot of different things that I could care about. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like I've found like this one true calling. Right. I do, I know now that I feel a lot more passion in my life, for lack of a better word, just being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. because I get to wake up and feel like I'm having a direct impact on people. And I really care about the people who are involved. Yep. Um, whereas before in the corporate setting, I didn't really care about any impact that I was having. I didn't really feel like I was having that much of an impact. I didn't care about the people involved. And so it was just hard to feel passionate about right. being some small cog in some giant machine. So just by moving the type of work that you're doing, regardless of the topic, even if I was like building an insurance company, but it was a tiny one, maybe I would care a lot more than yeah. when I was working for a hundred thousand person insurance company. Big time. And I think it's one of Steve's points here is that he says he just hates being managed. He hates that feeling of having someone else kind of lording over him, always looking over his shoulder at the work he's getting done. Yeah. And some people do just have a passion for for building their own way, for finding their own way in the world and for having the freedom to do what they want in their work and in their business. And that's okay if that's what you're passionate about. But what I love about Steve here is that he's also got skills to back that up. So many people are passionate about travel and freedom and whatever, being uh, nomads and all that kind of thing, but they don't have any skills to back that up. Yeah. And that becomes a real problem because when your passion is the side effect of running a successful business, but you don't have any skills to make the successful business happen, you got a real conundrum on your hands because there's nothing to drive that freedom if you can't create value in the world. Totally. And you, know, you can um, talk about your passion all you want, but if you're not helping other people achieve something specific, then you're not going to accomplish those things that you're so passionate about to begin yeah. with. It's kind of a, a chicken and the egg problem. And I faced that with my first blog. I started blogging about um, you know, lifestyle design and and uh, digital nomading and location independence and all of these things that I found really interesting, but I didn't know enough of the pieces of the puzzle to help other people accomplish that yet. Right. And so I just shift gears and change to something that was more tangible that I could help people with. And then eventually it came full circle and helped me achieve my own thing. So now I get to be passionate about those things and right. I live the life that I live, but that's not what I talk about every And that's day. the great irony of it, right? Is yeah. that when that was the focus, it was much harder to create value. And the same goes for me and for many people. I think we find this over and over that when your focus is not on the work, it just doesn't work out very well for you. And so if you're passionate about freedom or about your family or about bringing home money, then you need to just look at the work as getting good enough at something that you're the obvious choice to be hired for it. Yeah, creating enough value for other people. Yep. So I don't know. That's all I got to say about that's all I got to say about that. Uh, that you know, Forrest I don't mean Gump? to like. <laughs> what, wait, I want to know. I want to dig to the bottom was, of this. It was a weak Forrest Gump. <laughs> a very weak Forrest Gump. Okay, <laughs> it, I like realized that I needed to say it in Forrest Gump as it was starting to be said, and then uh -huh. I, I tried to transition towards it as I went, and it didn't work out very well. You got to commit from the beginning, Barrett. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you got to go all in. The only part I just want to add one thing, and it's maybe slightly off topic, but it's really interesting to me. And I haven't totally worked out what my own answer is to it. So I'd be curious for your guys's perspective. Um, towards the end of Steve's question, he says, I live for weekends and spend spending them with my family. If I really cared about my work, it would interfere with that. I thought that was really interesting. It basically implies that there's almost like this hesitation to become too impassioned about work because yeah. does it conflict with this other huge incredible passion of having a family and spending time with them. Yeah. So what do you guys think th about that? I think the, um, this debate that we're having about passion is similar to the debate that you can have about work-life balance. Mm -hmm. yes, Some yes. people don't want any balance. They're like, you know what? I love my work so much. I don't need balance in my life. Yep. Other people are like really adamant that it, 
you need work-life balance to have like a healthy, like well-rounded life. And I tend to be on that side. Yep. Um, but I see both and I think it really depends on how you're motivated. Yep. And for Steve, you know, he feels like he wants a well-rounded life and he doesn't want to throw himself um, just all into his work. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people I think who talk a lot about passion, a lot of people who talk a lot about it, um, <laughs> maybe in a different life situation than than you are when yep. you're listening to it when you hear somebody say that you need to find your greatest passion in life maybe they're like a single 20 something and that's what right. they need to do at this point in their yep. lives mm -hmm. if you're older and married and have kids and you want to have balance in your life then it's probably more healthy to have Steve's kind of point of view and so what that says yeah. to me is a lot of this comes down to self-awareness and emotional intelligence and looking inward about what it is that you want and not necessarily defining what passion means by somebody else's definition, yeah. but deciding mm -hmm. for yourself, these are the things that drive my sense of motivation, my sense of meaning in my life. And therefore I'm going to structure my life that way. And I'm going to make other decisions to enable those things that matter most. Yeah. And so if family yep. time and a healthy paycheck and some of this other stuff are most important, then you know that you need to pull some other levers to make that happen for you. Totally. And you just need to be willing to make sacrifices on the stuff that doesn't matter as much. And when you consider this idea of passion in the abstract without considering the other facets of your life, then you're setting yourself up for failure because you yes. can create this like yes. perfect idea of how much passion you need to have about your work. But then- you come into conflict when you realize, oh, there are all these other things that matter to me, family and health and travel and whatever. Um, and so I think it's best to come at this with a, uh, a deeper philosophy about life and what you want. And um, I happen to have written an article about this we can link to in the show notes recently um, called How to Create a Vision for Your Life. And this is based on a process that I've done annually for several mm -hmm. years where I kind of break down what matters to me in terms of health and wealth and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And it really helps to put everything in perspective. And it helps when you feel like you're deep in some work quagmire that matters so much to you to sort of lift your head up above the clouds and look around and realize that, oh, okay, this is actually going okay because the rest of my life is pretty good. Yeah. And I needed to stop freaking out about this one particular issue. So, yep. You absolutely. got show notes going over there, Barrett? Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll yeah, add a couple we'll here. work on that. <laughs> You know, Chase really does do a lot when we're uh, recording these things. <laughs> I guess things. he does. We shouldn't be so hard on him. <laughs> we miss you, Chase. <laughs> oh, God. I hope he's having fun in Europe. Okay. Now we're moving on. Now, guys, Lindsay Wilcox, that question mm -hmm. that I was going to get to last time, very related to Steve's question. So Lindsay's question was, what do I do if I have no lasting interests? So this kind of goes back to the idea of people putting this pressure on themselves to find the one thing. Uh, when people talk about this one thing that they're supposed to be interested in forever and ever and build their business around and be eternally passionate about, it reminds me a lot of this idea of having one true love and only one person you could ever possibly be matched with. And, uh, they're a little bit fantastical, those ideas, those concepts, because the reality is, is that anything take takes work. Anything worthwhile takes work, whether it's a relationship or an interest or a business. And so as we go into this, I think, you know, we need to take that mindset to it that number one, the number one thing I want to say to this question in general, whether it's Lindsay or somebody else that has the same question about lasting interest is that 
everyone has many different interests and they have many different varied interests that change over time from year to year and even month to month. Just like Corbett was just saying when it comes to the passion thing, we go through seasons in life as our interests change and as we learn new information. So this is not a, a unique snowflake kind of thing. Yeah. And I guess it, I guess um, the definition of no lasting interest, like what does it mean for an interest to last? Are we talking about weeks or months or years or what? Um, I know th- it's certainly true of, of myself, Barrett, what you were saying about seasons in life, things change over time. And I can think back to when I was really, uh, I felt really interested in uh, ping pong or in uh, sailing or whatever, you know, the flavor of the month was. And that's part of, to me, that's part of the fun of life is getting to experience different things. And when when people set out to build a business, I think a lot of times they feel like, oh my God, I'm making this decision that's going to last me the next 40 years. I got to pick the one thing that matters to me. And I don't think that's true at all. In fact, I look forward to having many different chapters in my life. And if you just pick something that you can do good work with now, something that you can make an impact with now, then that affords you the ability to change your interests later and to pursue something else. Um, you see this all the time with celebrities and rappers and people like that who start out, you know, as an actor or they start out as a model or a singer or a rapper or whatever. And once they achieve, you know, fame there, then they move on to doing all kinds of other things that they might be interested in. And the same is true on a smaller scale for us as entrepreneurs. We see this with friends of ours. You start out with a blog about something and you're able to earn enough income there, then that affords you the ability to maybe um, build a software product or something else that you're interested in at the moment because now you have the connections and maybe um, some of the funding that you need to be able to go pursue something else. The, The core here though is committing now to creating something that's useful and valuable to other people that they'll be willing to pay you money for so that then you can go figure out what those other interests might be. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, my solution to this has always been thinking about problems that are worth solving. And to me, it's not so much about, am I interested in the work required to solve the problem? It's, do I care enough about solving this problem to put the effort in to solve it no matter what it takes? And that's kind of always been my guiding light is, for example, working on Fizzle, it's fascinating to me to think that we could create a library of resources and a community of support that can enable more people than the like average numbers to build successful businesses. That's a fascinating problem to me, and I enjoy working on it. And there's no right answer. We're figuring out what what works and what doesn't, but we're always going to be improving on that core idea of helping entrepreneurs succeed. And so for me, it's about, can you find a problem that you can dig into enough, that's meaty enough that you can really go deep on it and try and find a way to solve some aspect of that for a group of people that have that problem. And I think for me, it takes this interest thing outside of you. And again, we get into that empathy side of things and we start thinking about what effect will this have on other people? What effect will this have on the world? You know, a perfect example of, of an actress who did exactly what you were talking about, Corbett, is Jessica Alba, who went from 
kind of this model actress and then started uh, The Honest Company to create non-toxic home and, and bodily care products because once she had kids and she started researching what was in all of the products she was using for her kids, she was like, I don't like this. I don't know if I believe that there should be all these chemicals going yeah. in my kids' hair every day. And so she went and solved that problem because it was interesting to her. It doesn't mean they always work. Did you, it doesn't uh, mean they always work. Did, I did, did you hear, hear about, about the, the uh, yeah. sunscreen? We just but, returned uh, some sunscreen too. We literally, we so on a sunscreen uh, last year was pretty awesome. We used a couple of tubes of it. It was great. We bought some new stuff earlier this year and uh, brought it to Hawaii with us for a week or so. And Jesse and I kept like wondering, like, why the hell were we getting so burned when we were wearing like a lot of sunscreen every day? And then the story came out like a couple of weeks later that um, (laughs) they changed the formula and it wasn't exactly effective anymore. So we returned it. And I guess um, it's business is kind of tough over there right now. I would assume that's the case. I would bet that they'll go back to the old formula and they'll end up okay. But uh, but that's just one example of someone who I'm not sure that creating home care, bodily care products was Jessica Alba's greatest interest or passion in the world. But I do know that she cared enough about how her kids would be affected by the things that they use day in and day out that it was interesting enough to her to go figure out a solution to that yeah. problem. Now, an interesting um, sort of tangent to this question is there's a the question of whether or not you have lasting interests. And then there's another question of how deeply does an entrepreneur have to care in order to make a dent in mm-hmm. the world or to build a successful business? Right. And mm-hmm. if you truly have no lasting interest and you have like a really hard time, it might not be the right time for you to be an entrepreneur. If you yeah. can't find something that you care about, whether it's the topic or just doing the work or empathy for the people who you might be affecting. If, mm-hmm. it's, if you can't find one of those three things that you really care deeply about, then you might not have enough gas in the tank to pull off building yep. a business right now. That's right. Yeah. That's kind of a similar direction I was going to go in because Lindsay mentions she really takes this idea of having no lasting interest, I think, one step further than we're even talking about so far. And she even says, and I'll just quote a couple sentences, she says, I don't have any hobbies. I spend pretty much all of my time searching for anything so interesting that I get caught up in it, but I feel like I'm running at full speed around in circles. And for me, what that suggests is, you know, if that's the case, then I think what I get from that, and I feel like I have been there myself, and it just, I, I see myself in this, is she's putting a lot of pressure on herself to like get hobbies and care about stuff. And sometimes when you start to ask yourself, like, what are my hobbies? What do I care about? And you can't come up with anything. It's almost like then it just slips through your fingers like like sand. And it's I, I think I have a similar thought for Lindsay or for anyone who's in a similar position, which is maybe forget or put on the back burner creating a business right now and instead just kind of like enjoy, you know, whether it's going out for a walk or I think another great example of this, just a, a real life example, is we have a fizzler named Helen who was talking about, she was actually referencing the fizzle show 129 that we talked about earlier. And she had said in a thread that she was thinking about, you know, what do I think is really cool? Like, what what do I get really into? And she came up with one of the most out there cool things. She was talking about her interest in sniffing books. She likes the way that books smell. Sniffing what? And books. Sniffing books. books. Mm Mm-hmm. Like this, this, like this, you know, paging through it and, and the smell of like a new book at a bookstore. And like, lo and behold, there are people responding saying, that's me. I totally like that too. So sometimes I think, you know, I never even would have called that a hobby, but it's something that, that's, that's interesting to Helen. And you just, you just never know. So I think that if you're in a position where you just feel like, I don't even know what I'm interested in, just take a step back and try to just enjoy the little things. And you might be surprised at what emerges. That's true. It could be that your interests are just that 
they don't seem big enough to truly be hobbies, something like that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you can't build something interesting out of it. It probably turns out that there are a lot of people out there. You could probably dedicate an entire site just to the smell of different books. Maybe there's a yeah, science I mean, behind that. That's true. I have to admit, like, I kind of laughed at first. I was like, well, gosh, that's so random. But I, I already mentioned once on this podcast, I was in a bookstore this weekend and I could smell the books and it popped into my head. And I was like, you know, I kind of like that smell too. Maybe that's, maybe that's a thing. So you just never But know. here's the deal too. So, um, Lindsay mentions that she doesn't necessarily need to build a business to earn income. Right. So she's kind of in this unique position where, which is sometimes the opposite of what we find in many of our customers, which is that they need it to work yesterday right. and they're trying to figure out how to get it to work you know, overnight. Yep. And so Lindsay is in a place where she's got some time, she's got some space. For me, what that says is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to offer to work for free for some people on some problems that they have and just try and find some threads that are interesting enough for me to at least take on a project. Sometimes a, a good way to kind of time box yourself or to, or to give yourself an out is to work in terms of projects to say, I'm going to give myself this amount of time with this goal in mind to tackle this problem. And at the end of that, I'll make a decision on whether or not to continue this. And if you're a multi-passionate, multi-potentialite type person, which newsflash everyone is, um, you can do that so that you don't feel confined and claustrophobic about whatever it is you're working on today so that at some point you land on something that you want to continue working on for a period of time. And I think that can work pretty well for people who want to jump from thing to thing. Yeah, and I think as we often prove on this podcast, uh, just because you pick a particular topic like entrepreneurship, which we've chosen, doesn't mean you can't talk about all kinds of stuff. <laughs> this is definitely true. We do kind of stretch the meaning of uh, entrepreneurship on a regular basis. Um, all right, let's move on. I think we I think we tackled the passion and interest thing pretty thoroughly. I think we've got time for another one. I think we have time for another one too. So this one, the existential question of the hour. What <laughs> does it mean to be an entrepreneur? Jeez, you're really like hitting us with all the deep ones today, Barrett. I yep. know. We really we like searched, we combed the forums for the deepest possible questions that we could find because <laughs> our deepest existential thinker is not here. That's true. We're just trying to, we're throwing ourselves into the fire to see how well we do without, that's right, that's without right. Chase. Um, and we should also mention that the forums aren't just full of deep existential questions. There are also right. fluffy things like which uh, email provider should I choose mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and other things that are useful from a tactical, technical sort of perspective. And we'll do some uh, of those in the future. And we will. But these sort of get uh, mixed in there and they usually lead to some really interesting discussions. In I think forums. so anyways. All right, so... Uh, I'll start with, I think this is pretty personal. I think being an entrepreneur means different things to different people. So why don't we take that approach and say, Steph, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur to you? You know, to me, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I was, I've been thinking about this one a lot. This one came from close to a month ago now. So it's, there's a very spirited conversation going on. I think there's an important difference. This is actually like not the perspective I usually take. So maybe this will be interesting to you guys. I this one for me is not about, not as much about what it feels like or anything like that. To me, it's more about, I think it's important to understand and it's, it's really critical. And this is the moment where I become like the fizzle den mama and have to push people out of the nest a little bit to really draw a line in the sand between do I have a hobby or do I have a business? And sometimes we have a topic, we plan it, we create our, you know, one page business plans, we ask for feedback and we spin our wheels and we never really get to the point where we actually 
put a stake in the ground and say, okay, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to create content. I'm going to create a product and I'm going to try in earnest to grow this. And there's a big difference. I think it's easy to say, you know, I have an idea, I have a topic, um, and that makes me an entrepreneur. But to me, that, that, that it doesn't, you know, to me, being an entrepreneur to me is like that. If I think about that scary moment where you really put yourself out there, maybe you put it on Facebook for all of your friends from your whole entire past to see, and they get to go to your site. And that I know for me, that makes me nervous. And I think it's true for a lot of people. It's having the courage to say, I believe in this enough to really create something and see how it does and, and commit to adjusting and not just walking away from it when I get tired of it and put it down like, you know, a, a toy that I got last Christmas. So to me, being an entrepreneur has to have some staying power. It has to have some belief in it. And it does take a lot of courage. So that's what comes to mind for me. What do you think, Corb? Um, to me, entrepreneurship, the like core of entrepreneurship is self-sufficiency and this, um, this like deep sense of independence that you get when you're working for yourself or when you're building something mm -hmm. with a tiny group of people, yep. because there's this like objectivity of the marketplace that defines whether or not we're successful. And I think it's so easy when you work for someone else or when you work for a big company, not to know if your efforts are truly having some sort of impact. Um, and so it really just comes down to that, like that, that deep satisfaction of self-sufficiency that you get uh, that really I don't think you can get in a whole lot of other places in life. And it's sort of, to me, when you think about a career, it's kind of like um, playing armchair quarterback versus like actually being in the game. And I feel like if you're working for a really small company, it really feels like you're out there on the playing field. You're not just a spectator. You're not just sitting in the, in the stands like rooting the team on. You're one of the members on the field, um, taking the hits and seeing whether or not you have the right stuff to make it work. And that, that objectivity that, um, you get back from your customers as to whether or not they think what you've built is valuable enough for them to pay for. That's a really magical thing. Yeah, it is. And for me, I think that, uh, I guess my contribution will be that entrepreneurialism is a mindset to me. I think that there are people in both big companies and small companies and solopreneurs and growing startups that have entrepreneurial people within them. And you see those people because they stick out and they measure themselves based on results. They want to be held accountable. They want to be responsible for things. They raise their hand when someone asks for a volunteer. They're the people who lean into or step into more of the work. They seek it out. They try and find problems that they want to solve. They try and make things better. Yeah. And I think that can apply to nonprofits. It can apply to side projects. It can apply to your day job. It can apply to your family life and to your friends and being the initiator there. And so for me, entrepreneurialism as an idea, as a concept is what's the mindset, what's the posture you take towards the things you do day in and day out? Mm -hmm. And how do you approach the things that you're, you get to do every day? Do you teach it or treat it like you get to do it or do you treat it like you have to do it? And like, it's just this big drudge through life. Yeah. And you're just trying to survive. Yeah. I, and I totally agree. I think like the, the root of entrepreneurship really is this um, concept of turning risk into opportunity. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's making a guess about something and seeing whether or not you're right and trying to orchestrate uh, a collective effort of people and resources to achieve some sort of outcome. And so you're right. You can do that within an organization. No question. You could do it within a huge organization if you're, um, 
smart enough and have enough experience to like negotiate the politics right. and, and organize those people. However, the side effects of building a small business, that version of entrepreneurship, the independence that you get, and that feeling of self-sufficiency, I don't think you can get in a, in a giant organization, even though you that. can be yep. entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because at the end of the day, when you're, when you're out on a line and you've put your stake in the ground, you either, you're in it or you're not. You're, you're winning or you're not. You're making money or you're not. You're providing value or you're not. You don't have and, the safety net. Right? Yeah, that's right. There's no safety net. There's nowhere to hide. It's much easier to hide in a big organization or when you have a salary to fall back yeah. on. And so I do think there's a difference between being entrepreneurial and being a business owner, being someone who is making decisions that result in people's livelihoods being affected. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it just changes the mindset and the approach you take to the work when, that, when that's on the line. Steph, you got more over there? That I don't think I do. All right. I really left it all on the on You the left court, it all guys. on the field. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. You know, there there are, of course, a lot of other aspects. I mean, I think we've gotten at the the core of being an entrepreneur. Then there are sort of all the things that go along with being an entrepreneur, the emotions of it, the yeah. sort of feast or famine nature where sometimes things are going really well and a lot of times they're not. Um, and, you know, the other thing about entrepreneurship to me is that there are like many different ways to build a business. And we all, I think, a lot of us get into entrepreneurship the first time and we don't realize that the priorities that we set for how our business will be structured and how we're going to go about doing the work, um, that matters so much because if you don't make those clear, then the things that sort of control the rest of society just take over, money and status and doing the work for its own sake and not balancing the rest of your life. Yep. All of that can take over in your business just as easily as they did in the day job that you were so excited to leave. And so as an entrepreneur, you have to define what matters to you. And you can look around and find examples of companies like 37 Signals. Um, they're always a great example of how to do business in a way that um, that they really care to do business and not to just let the rest of the the uh, money and status and all that take over. Treehouse is another great example. This is a 200-person company that uh, only works four days a week, yeah. the entire company. So there are all these really great examples out there of big success stories. And it's not, you don't have to work 60 hours a week in your own business to make it succeed. In fact, a lot of times that's detrimental yeah. in the long term. So Pay attention to how you're building your business as much as you pay attention to what you're building. Yeah, absolutely. How are we doing on time here? I think we're good. We could probably sneak in like a lightning round if you've got one. Okay, yeah, let's just, I think this is kind of the dark side of being an entrepreneur or or an aspect of the dark side. Let's end on the dark side. Good idea, Barrett. (laughs) No, but I think it's a good one because it can be uplifting because every entrepreneur has to deal with this. Okay. And uh, David Lindop popped in the forums and he had just received a feedback email from someone who had unsubscribed from his list. Uh, and he asked the question, what is your advice to stop obsessing over negative feedback? And he kind of framed the question as over the past, however long he's been running his business, he's gotten hundreds of messages from people or indicators from people that they enjoy his content or they enjoy hearing from him and gotten compliments from them. But he got this one email and here's what it said. It said, 
uh, unsubscribed. I sent an email with concrete questions a long time ago, which was never answered. What's the point of having a site about this topic without actually informing? And so this person got personal about their experience with uh, David and his site. I guess they had sent an email in and didn't get the kind of response they were expecting or may not have gotten one at all, which is something I think we've all experienced, especially as your customer base, your email list continues to grow. Right. You get to a point where you just can't answer everything immediately, if at all. Totally. And, uh, so I don't know what David's situation was in this case, but I do know he got some tough feedback and that was kind of what he was ruminating on. That was what stuck in his brain despite all this good feedback that yeah, he had gotten. He just couldn't let that one go. That's right. And I think we've yeah. all been here. So so what's the advice for for an entrepreneur when they receive negative feedback or they get this cutting kind of remark from a customer or subscriber or someone who's paying attention to them? What's that feel like? What do they do? And uh, this is a good moment for us to take pause and recognize the great contributions of Steph Crowder on the Fizzle team because <laughs> I know that she probably takes the brunt of the negative feedback mm-hmm. that we get um, and shields yeah. the rest of us from it. So, Steph, maybe you have an answer for us. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, you know, the very first thing I'll say is I think th- it's so important, even though your gut reaction is always going to be to get defensive. Like, when someone sends an email like this, which I do get them, and people, I think Barrett and I laugh about this sometimes because he's done the job that I'm doing now. And we sometimes laugh about the fact that I genuinely think that people sometimes don't realize that they're going to get a human on the other side. Right. And in fact, when they get a response from me, sometimes they go radio silent in embarrassment. It's almost like they're just journaling <laughs> their frustration. Right, right. Yeah. Totally. So I think that it's important to remember, you know, when I get an email like this, my first thought is like, oh, it's on. I got like my brass knuckles and I get pissed. But, you know, I I always take a step back and just remember that in a lot of cases and like I would say most cases, it, it has a lot to do with what that person is going through. And I don't mean to remove all, you know, learning opportunity, because I think that would be a shame. I think that with negative feedback, there is always an opportunity to learn. But it's also super important to recognize that every single person out there, especially the, you know, the ones who are angry, they're going through something. And there's some reason that they're having that reaction. And it might not necessarily be all about you, even though it feels really, really personal. So this is also something that I think it helps for me in this role, you know, things that I learned in leadership and and having to give back or, you know, negative feedback or redirecting feedback to people on a team. And I certainly have received my fair share, you know, working in the corporate world for a long time. And I found that the best thing to do would be to just try to see the positive in it and not take it as a comment on my self-worth and who, who I am as a person, but instead try to see the opportunity to learn and grow and get better. So I think the more you can detach your own self from it and see it for what it is, be objective about it, look for the truth in it, but also recognize that that person who's might be ripping you a new one is probably having their own type of bad day or their own type of circumstance. Those things are all really important for not taking it so personally and being able to move on from it when you've, when you've learned from it and then you got to let it go. Um, so realizing that it's not about you, that was one of my top ones as well, Steph. Um, that's always a good one. These people don't really know you, mm-hmm. right? You're right. just some like uh, like personality in the sky to them and it's easy for them to, to gripe. The other thing is technology just by its own nature, unfortunately, it makes it easier for people to be mean. Yep. And yeah. that's because they're not, they don't know you. They're not like addressing you right to your face. They are just talking to some like, you know, like I said, personality in the sky. And so it's really easy for them to be much meaner than they would be in person. And that's an unfortunate side effect of the way technology works. For me, the thing that has helped um, most with negative feedback is probably to take more of it, first of all, 
And not to belittle David's experience, but like this kind of negative feedback, um, it was pretty gentle. Yeah. Yeah. If you start taking more of it, eventually that kind of comment isn't going to seem negative at all. Yep. It's going to be like, yeah, oh, that's, that's just true. kind of a, a neutral comment, actually. Yep. <laughs> it was somebody just giving feedback. It wasn't even negative. Uh, eventually yep. you'll get some stuff that's like, oh, wow, that was really mean. Yep. Um, the other thing is you can also learn how to kind of turn off channels where you might get more negative feedback mm -hmm. or um, to remove things. So for example, I don't let people post on my Facebook wall anymore. I don't let people um, leave YouTube comments without me approving them because I think that if you start allowing just the floodgates, you know, to be open and, and especially in places like YouTube where there are a lot of idiots out there, um, one negative comment can lead to another and another and another. And if it's out there public, you feel much worse about it than if you just get it privately yep. and you can either respond privately or just delete it and ignore it because it's some sort of, you know, whatever troll or, or a-hole or whatever you might yeah. call it. So, Yeah. I mean, another tip related to that is I think, uh, what do you call it? Putting them all batching, batching the feedback and batching the processing of the feedback. Sometimes you can't control it, like when it's coming into your inbox or whatever, you can't control other people's actions. But like for us in Slack, in our one of our Slack channels is customer feedback and it feeds us all of the uh, customer exit interviews that we get. And I know that, um, you know, we have however many people that leave every day. And so some number of those are going to fill out an exit survey. And if you keep that on constantly, if you keep that channel pouring in, it can be really easy to get caught up in a constant flow of negativity f coming from other people and forget all of the work that you're doing as an entrepreneur to improve your product, to improve the service you're providing to people, to serve customers better. And uh, so one thing would be batching it. The other thing that you have to realize is that you cannot control anything about the experiences these people have had before they come to you. Mm -hmm. They can be jaded before they ever even interact with anything you've done in the maybe world. Maybe they just had a really bad day. Yeah, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe someone in their family died. Maybe their dog died. Maybe they had a bad day at work. Their boss was a jerk or whatever. Or maybe they're so used to big companies being jerks to them through their customer service lines or whatever that they just have this expectation that anything that says it's a company is going to treat them poorly. Maybe they just got off the phone with Comcast. That's right. And that would make anyone in a bad mood. <laughs> right. Um, this podcast is sponsored by uh, Comcast today, and we just like to promote their uh, Xfinity <laughs> internet service. Anyways, uh, moving on. But <laughs> that was horrible. Chase is somewhere like just nodding and like shaking his head in disapproval. He, uh, he dedicates like three minutes to our fake sponsor, LaCroix. I know he does. And you just gave like 10 seconds to Comcast. I know. Uh, anyways, this podcast is clearly not sponsored by Comcast, but anyways, the point being, you can't control the experiences that people have before they come to you and you can't control their upbringing and their sense of what's right and what's wrong. And the fact that there's a computer and a bunch of telephone wires between them and you means that they have all of the courage in the world. Telephone, is that how it works? There's telephone wires? Well, whatever. <laughs> Cables, uh, okay. high, high speed internet just curious, wires. Just I mean, they all, they all have the same poles. Okay. All right. <sighs> anyway, satellites hovering over the earth and, you know, we're going to colonize Mars eventually. And then there will be satellites out there and there's just all kinds of stuff that make. <laughs> this has been the future with Barrett Brooks. <laughs> uh, the next cosmos coming soon. Anyways, uh, what I'm getting at is don't take it personally because you can't control what other people experience in their lives. And it's really not about you. It's about them and their feelings were hurt and they decided to let their feelings be hurt by some action that you took. 
And I guarantee it will get worse. It will get worse over time. And uh, hopefully you'll have a team that can help with that at some point too. Because I do find that having a mastermind group or a team or friends or somebody that you can go to in times of self-doubt or questioning yourself because of feedback you're getting can be very valuable because it's a support system that knows the entirety of the work that you're doing. They know you as a person and they can step in and say, come on now, let's not be too ridiculous about this. We obviously know that you're not a bad person because this one dude sent you an email. This one person sent you an email. So don't let it be the end of the world every time you get one of these things. Yeah. And this is exactly why the new uh, Yelp for People app should not exist. Have you guys heard about yeah, that? Yeah, they ridiculous. shut it down though. Oh, they did already? Really? Yeah, they're not going to launch. Oh, Because so okay. many people got ticked about yes. it? Yes. They just Even though they already it. raised like $10 million in venture yep, capital? Apparently. Well, John Oliver talked about it and that's just the oh, it. Wow. Shut it down. <laughs> I didn't know John Oliver covered it. Yeah, he did. Good for him. Um, You guys, I, I think we did it. I think we did it. That's... I think we did pretty good. Oh, yeah? You're just going to pat yourself on the back already, Steph? I like <laughs> I, it. I am. <laughs> I am. Good. We don't need feedback from people. In our own minds, we were fantastic. That's right. I was so good today, so please don't send feedback. We're not gathering feedback right now. I'll batch that <laughs> only for the later. Good, only the good kind. Yeah. Send your feedback to uh, Chase Reeves at... Yeah. Yeah, All yeah right. right. This is good. That was fun. Good. I, th- I feel like we'll be okay next week. Have we reached the uh, filibuster period? Uh, have we? Oh, how does that work if Chase isn't here? I guess, yeah, I guess there, I don't get to filibuster, right? Oh, that's true because you just kind of start it. Yeah, I start it and then it, and then it's, then it moves on. Oh, it's so, so much more fun when Chase doesn't get to filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Because I'm not worried about you guys. This whole episode is Chase not being able to filibuster. Uh, no. Oh my God. He's probably, <laughs> I can't wait till he listens to this and he's like, oh, Shake his fist. Oh, man. All right, well, uh, I guess I've been Corbett Barr. What would I like to say in my uh, short filibuster (laughs) time today? You know, I really don't have good use for this time. I feel like I need to buff up on my monologue skills if I'm going to make good use of the filibuster time. But uh, anyways, I've been Barrett Allen Brooks. I've been Steph Crowder. We'll We'll see you there. We'll see you on another So there you have it, as Chase loves to say. That's today's show. We answered a number of questions, and I got to say thank you to all of the fizzlers who submitted them. Josh Robb, Steve Fossey, Lindsey Wilcox, Johnny Keeley, and David Lindop. We appreciate you, and we appreciate everyone who gets in there in the forums and lays it all on the line, puts it out there, asks real questions of the community so that we can jump in there and help you out, because that's really what the point of Fizzle is, to support each other, not let each other quit, and help each other along on this road to uh, building a business that we can all believe in and get behind. Uh, Today, we answered a number of questions. We tackled a bunch of topics, passion, interests, uh, the scarcity mindset, and what it means to get over this idea that we can't possibly provide so much value that people would pay the kind of money they're going to pay us. Important questions, deep questions, existential questions, the kinds of questions that Chase Reeves would be proud of. But you didn't get to hear his voice today because, again, he was away. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll jump into the comments at fizzleshow.co slash 131. That's fizzleshow.co slash 131. Jump in there. Share your voice. Let us know what you thought about the show today. And if you have another question you'd love to hear us answer in the future, you can do it in the comments there. If you're a Fizzle member, you can do it in the forums in the Q&A section. Or we're always open to emails at heyguys at fizzle.co. 
You know what comes next. We love it when you give us ratings in iTunes. It helps us help you because more people find us and a bigger community means there's more support and it means that there's more goodness to go around from the Fizzle team. So if you want to help us with our goal to help you make progress on your business every single week, you can support us by leaving us a review in iTunes. So go on over to your iTunes app or your podcast app and uh, look us up and write a review there in the iTunes application. And you know what? Leave us an honest review. We want to hear what you actually think. Why do you tune in every week? Why do you listen to us? What do you love? What don't you love? Share it all right there and uh, give us a rating that you can get behind. We appreciate all of them. We read all of them. And we hope you'll go do that today if you never have. Today was an important one. We enjoyed it. Some good Q&A, some good back and forth between the three of us who are here. We hope you enjoyed it too. And between now and next week, find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks, and we'll talk to you on the next Fizzle Friday.